So about a month ago, while our boys were on spring break, uh, our boys and I and our, our family, uh, we took off after church for a super quick trip down to uh, Joshua Tree. The ride down there was one thing, but the 10-hour turn trip, right, just a couple days later was definitely something else. I'm at the age where I don't listen to music quite as much as I used to. Uh, I, I prepare for road trips by downloading lots of podcasts. Um, but when you start getting tired and, and sort of wondering if you're ever going to reach your destination, right? Some, some familiar favorite tunes go a long way for a family like ours to actually make our destination. Uh, so it was, it was getting late. We're kind of getting in that ninth hour of the road trip, getting tired, and I decided to put on a playlist I knew that everyone would sing, that everyone would rock out to. It was actually a soundtrack to a, uh, to a film called Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, you don't have to know the movie. You might think, oh, that's a Marvel movie. It's probably some new music, all that stuff. You don't have to know the mu movie. The music's all that matters. It's a blend of, of funk, of soul, of rock, of slow jams. I'm, and man, I'm telling you, it's well, you tell me. Here, here's a 20-second sampling of just the first four tracks on the, on the album. Go, go for it, Gloria. And you can dance in your seats if you want to. can't tell me that that those songs wouldn't help you carry on. I mean, they would, they help my teenagers carry on. They love this soundtrack, this music. Well, God's people, the Jewish people, compiled their own song playlist that they would roll out for every road trip. And I love this about God's Word. It has these moments that relate to our lives. They, they had these classics that everyone knew would hit the various notes that needed to be hit on a long road trip. Uh, they express varying emotions, uh, challenges, hardships, reflections, joy, celebrations, work, perseverance, a unity, being a stranger and feeling like a stranger in a strange land. These tunes were designed not only to pass the time, but to keep one another connected with God, uh, with one another, and, and with emotions, keeping them in touch with their emotions. So, these songs had already been written, they'd already been sung, they'd even been prayed. Some were written by David, one was written by his son Solomon, most of them were written uh, decades, centuries later. Eventually, these songs were recognized, organized, and canonized into the definitive road trip playlists under the Holy Spirit's direction. And because that road trip for a Jewish person was always to Jerusalem, that playlist was called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. Now, now, topographically, Jerusalem was the highest city in all of Palestine. And so and it was a city surrounded by hills. And so pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem spent most of their time ascending, going upwards. So an Israelite and their family and their clan would make a trip to Jerusalem three times per year, for a festival, for an important festival. And this long, usually days-long 
uh, triannual trip was a transition from the normal rhythms of life and of work and of family to something quite different. And that's why you see in the artwork of our series above here, uh, the pilgrims ascending from remnants of a city, right, from normal life, kind of going to the hills, to, to something new, to something different. Now, the songs along the way, the, the playlist was designed to help us carry through life's long transition, something to which all of us can relate. It could be as simple as the summertime, right? We're about to go into, we're about to, it is itself a transition time, right? You got kids out of school, uh, teachers, librarians of those schools not working. We're a little more active. We're outdoors a little more. We're a little more laid back. We take more time. It's a transition, a season. It could be a more typical life transition, right? You're a new parent, a new spouse. You have a new job, a new home a new city, the transition can also be um, like the one all of us are going through who've trusted Jesus, right? That, that we've trusted Jesus and we're given these, these new hearts and this new outlook, and yet we still live, though, in this, this temporary world with these temporary bodies, and life is still hard and, and difficult and challenging, and there's still temptations, and we're, it's a transition period. That we're all going through. And it, there's also the transition that could be life-altering and uncertain. Like all of our lives post-pandemic, we have certain relationships that have been lost, certain kinds of friendships that no longer seem to be there, like, like the sort of what I call middle ring relationships around things like church small groups, or a reading group, a biking group, a, some, a bowling group, whatever it might be, even workplace relationships kind of lost. Life rhythms and traditions lost. And we're trying to figure out what's still normal coming out of that, aren't we? What is normal anymore? These transition psalms, and all of the psalms help us, but these transition psalms especially. Transition psalms and all psalms, there are prayer journals of these, these great saints that are put to music. To paraphrase the, the fourth church uh, the 4th century church father, uh, Athanasius, he said, most of the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. And that's wonderful. What wonderful language to have, and we don't know what to say, right? So over the summer, this summer, the Psalms of Ascent will help us speak the words we need to say out loud for life's hard and confusing transitions, which all of us are going through in some way or another. So the first psalm we're going to look at has to do with the, the sense of feeling out of place, feeling like, a, feeling like a stranger in a strange land. It's Psalm 120. So you can find that in the Bibles. We have Bibles underneath the seats for you if you want one. Psalm 120 is in the Old Testament. We're going to read it together up on the screen, though, first. So you can find in your Bible, every week we get together, every Sunday, our Scripture readers and myself, most likely our Scripture readers, We'll read one line of a scripture verse. Well, first of all, let me say this. These psalms were meant to be sung together, okay? So what I really would like us to do is a cappello sing each psalm together. And <laughs> yeah, you all knew I was joking, man. I couldn't even get through that with a straight face. All right, we're not going to sing them together, but we're at least going to read them all together, okay? So what's going to happen is I'll read the first line of a verse. And then, we'll all, and then we'll all read together the second line. And it'll follow along on the screen. Does that sound good? So stand with me, if you would. We're going to read God's Word. If you can stand, stand. If you can't, that's no problem either. We're going to read together Psalm 100. 
and 20. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So, one of the first followers of Jesus is a man named Peter. Peter grew up hearing tales of one nation under God, but his experience was quite different. Back then, Israel was one nation under God, but then they get exiled to one world power and then to another. And even after God's people returned to their homeland, not all of them did. Many stayed behind in foreign countries, raised families. They were part of what was known as the Jewish dispersion. They were in different places, not all together. And the writer of Psalm 120 was one of these many who were part of the Jewish dispersion. Uh, foreign language, foreign customs, and all those things, you know, he could adapt to, just as maybe some of us have adapted to at different times. But foreign morals and a way of living was something else. He was part of God's people who were called to, to love their neighbor in cultures where, where neighbors were usually used. Neighbors were usually insulted when they didn't do things the way things were supposed to be done. People weren't treated well. They were treated as commodities. So he had a problem. The psalmist had a problem. And here was this big problem that he expresses through uh, the scriptures this morning. A war of words, a war of words that's alien to him and happens to be alien to us as well. And the reason I say this, this war of words that we're surrounded by is alien to us is because Peter says us as well. After he and others meet and are fundamentally changed by Jesus Christ, they live in cultures ruled by, by differing ideas of what's right and wrong, of morality, especially how to treat other people. So the apostle Peter, for example, lives in Israel but it's been an Israel that's long been occupied by the Roman Empire. So he writes new followers of Jesus, and he immediately addresses them, interestingly enough, and here's the connection with the Psalms, he addresses new followers of Jesus as exiles of the dispersion. He has them identify with the, with the psalmist, with the people of the Old Testament. That he immediately gives voice to, to what every new follower of Jesus is sensing Living a life characterized by Jesus' love feels foreign, it feels strange, it feels alien in my culture, in my neighborhood. And that's what our psalmist is doing. He's providing God's people language for expressing to God and expressing to one another the distress of feeling tired, worn down by, by mean-spirited, deceptive words all around him. And that's what distresses him most, right? He says distress. He says, deliver me from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. In other words, he's distressed by this mean-spirited, deceptive words. And if you read the Psalms, 
you'll notice most of the time what the psalmist will complain about are, are words, personal attacks directed to the psalmist themselves, but not here. Our psalmist isn't tired of lies targeted at him. He's tired of a lying culture all around him. It's more of a culture thing, right? A war going around him, a war of words going around him 24-7. And that's something we can relate to. We're not necessarily experiencing attacks directly made in our face by someone else. But we're part of those attacks happening all around us. It may involve things that we feel and we think and we have opinions on and whatever. So about six months ago, I joined the social media platform Twitter. Uh, I'm a person who loves words, so for me, Twitter makes a lot of sense. And I didn't join it to post things. In fact, I haven't posted anything about it, but I wanted to just follow accounts of my favorite sports teams and comedy. That's the goal. Sports teams, comedy. Let's keep it light here. One of the positives about Twitter, if you're not aware of what, of what it's like, is it's like curating your own museum. You get stuff, but you can tell the algorithm what you want to see and you don't want to see, and eventually it learns. And so after the first few months, if a political post came up, I'd be able to click to have those kind of posts removed. And I did, whether I agreed with them or didn't agree with them. I just removed them because all the, to- the comments underneath them are just toxic. I mean, it is bad out there. If you, yeah. <laughs> if you want to know the, the, the true filth of the human heart, man, go on Twitter. It's rough. Well, after six months of fastidiously clicking no to these political posts, they still find a way on my feed, especially politics, but even sports, even comedy. The most effective way to keep people engaged and themselves get paid, keep getting paid, is to phrase something in a way that will keep the war of words going in the comments underneath, right? If you say something in a way they're just it's provocative enough or like kind of leaves something out there in a way that you know two sides are going to fight over it, man. That's what gets people paid. And you can say, well, hey, that's why I stay, I, I stay away from the news. I keep off social media. Okay. But this keep the war going kind of communication has seeped into everyday life and culture. Everyday interactions, right? A comment someone makes at the checkout aisle in the grocery store about a headline on a magazine, and all of a sudden they're talking. A friend who randomly slips in that they know someone who works in this field of science or medicine, and they said something that reinforces what my side believes about this. And you're like, where did this come from? We were, <laughs> we were talking about the Golden State Warriors. And yet, they say that on one side of the mouth, but also, you know, I don't like really talking politics. And yet, here comes culture and politics. We live in a world where we say we want to value differing perspectives and opinions because we want peace, but that's really the lie. On the whole, the very culture saying it wants peace really wants war. Our psalmist genuinely wants peace, but he says whatever he speaks it, what he gets back is, oh, oh, they are for war, he says in verse 7. Like we live in this culture, it's like the Trojan horse of words, right? People come through the gates in peace. Oh, yeah, when they start making conversation, you realize, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're actually for war. Yikes. And the result, the effect of this, this constant cultural barrage of half-truths, ulterior motivated words, is it's worn us down. We feel worn down, don't we? 
The psalmist says in verse 6, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Too long. Dwell itself is an important word in this psalm. It's repeated a couple times. To understand it better, let's read the verse prior. Verse 5 says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, and that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. And you guys pronounced that beautifully, by the way, when you had to say it earlier. So Meshech was a people on the southwestern edge of the Black Sea. Kedar was a people in the uh, Arabian Desert here in the uh, ancient Near East. As you can see from the map here, each was very far from each other. So the psalmist used two examples that were actually quite far from each other. Most certainly, uh, he didn't live in both places, but each were places where Jews relocated after the exile. They were dispersed to places like this. And the psalmist wasn't writing just for himself. He was representing every Jewish person who was exiled, who was scattered, who was a stranger in a strange land. So every Jew not only sojourned, but tabernacled. That's the literal translation for dwell, to tabernacle in these foreign places. And the tabernacle, see, was God's uh, temporary house. Uh, when, when God's people were wandering in the desert, they would pinch this giant tent instead of having a church or a temple. And every time they moved around, they'd have to repitch the tent. It was called a tabernacle. It never stayed in the same place twice. And the psalmist literally says then, I tabernacle in the tents of Kedar. He's trying to emphasize, over hammer home the point, I tabernacle in the tents. I'm sojourning. Let me paraphrase for him. I'm feeling tired. I'm never having a home. I'm never feeling like I'm at home. That would be a paraphrase for what our psalmist is saying here. So when Peter, going back to the New Testament, addresses new Christians as exiles of the dispersion, he's first sympathizing with them. He's saying, you're just like God's people used to be. I know what you're going through. I know you live in a culture where, where you want to live differently and, and love your neighbor, but that neighbor, that same neighbor says sometimes some hard, sometimes some hateful, sometimes some often untrue words. And you're around that 24-7. But Peter was also challenging them. Later in the same letter, he addresses these new Christians saying, addresses them as sojourners and exiles in this world. You see the connection again back to Psalm 120? Sojourners and exiles in this world abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. So not only do we hear the word sojourners again, we hear that word war that our psalmist is using. When we're worn down living in a, a war zone of words, there's a desire, I think, in that moment to give in and choose sides when the war increases. And it's like Peter is saying, look, I know this is warring on your soul. I know there, there's a, it's going on all around us and it's starting to impact you deep down. Don't give in to one side or the other. And let's be real. When that's going on, around the, you're, you're with a family on a summer trip, you're, you're around friends and there's an election going on, whatever it might be, it, we feel like picking a side will help us just finally get settled, put down roots. It'll bring peace. If we pick a side, we'll be welcomed with open arms by someone at least. We'll get reassured that we, we finally belong somewhere. Our minor opinions will get affirmed and celebrated as being major convictions. And yes, you're part of our team. And Peter says, 
Friends, remain exiles. Remain sojourners in this world. Keep living that tension between the the already peace in your heart that's come through Jesus and the not yet peace that will one day be established on this earth. Keep living as exiles. Keep living as sojourners. I'm reminded of the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 5. It's very interesting. Joshua, remember, this is God's people. Joshua and his army are right by Jericho. And Joshua kind of goes on on his own, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees before him this divine man who has a a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua asks this divine man, essentially, whose side are you on? Like, show yourself, right? Who are you with? The divine man says to Joshua, so whose side are you on? He says, no. I am a commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, hey, no, I'm with God. (laughs) You want me to pick sides? I'm with God. God hasn't chosen a singular side in the polarizing culture wars of today. God is for life. God is for love. And each of those sides imperfectly reflect the sanctity of life and the ethic of love in different ways and on different issues, but they rarely reflect the respect for life and ethic of love and the way they talk about each other and the way they talk about the other side. Where's that? dignity for life and that ethic of love in those moments. Instead, they treat each other as being ugly. They're dehumanizing in their comments. And when that kind of talk wears us down, instead of taking the easy way out and choosing a side, the psalmist gives us words with which we can can vent to God instead of venting to a side. Woe to me, Lord, I feel like too long, Lord, have I tabernacled among those who say they're for peace but are really against it. In my distress, I cry to you, deliver me from this, Lord. We get to vent to him. And that leads us to the right response. The right response to wearing down is, deliver me, Lord. Deliver me. Venting to him, deliver me. And also, surprisingly, there's a deliver them also. Deliver me and deliver. Let me talk about both of these things. When in verse 1, the psalmist says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. This means only that God answered him. God spoke to him. As one commentator put it, the psalmist has not been answered in the form of historical action, but in the form of future assurance. God speaks to him and says, I'm going to assure you, yes, one day I will deliver you from all this. For For an Israelite, real peace, real shalom was promised in places like Isaiah 35, where the total package of spiritual, economic, mental, relational wholeness was true peace. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That future day will come in full when Isaiah 35 puts it, all sorrows and sighing will flee away. There'll be water that flows from the desert and everlasting joy will be put on the heads of God's people. The lame will be healed. The blind man given sight. There'll be no more predatory animals or destructive creatures out there. Only peace. So God answers the psalmist saying, hey, your true home will come. It's coming where you can forever put down roots. I'm going to assure you of that. I was talking this week to someone about working in... Um, working in the retail sector. And he was noting that when you work in retail, any of you guys ever here worked in retail before? Raise your hand, okay. So when you work in retail, they always tell you when you're dealing with a customer in front of you for a long time, 
to tell the next customer behind them in line, excuse me, I, I promise I'll be with you in a moment. And the reason they do that is psychologically it's been shown to work. If you tell someone who's, who's waiting, hey, it'll be a moment, it's like giving the, the waiting person a snack, an appetizer to hold them over, right? Here's the assurance, yep, that'll do, right? Or if you've ever been in line with your kids, like say in an amusement park or you're waiting for something, right? And, you're, and you search like in a purse or in your pockets, and you're like, wait, do I have that pack of crackers I can give them just now because they're whining, they're crying, and you don't know what to do. And you're like, oh, thank God, here's a Mentos, right? Or, or, or like a, or, or one of those peppermints, right? And it's like, oh yeah, that'll do in the moment. That's what God is giving the psalmist here. And that's our message in a nutshell this morning. We never get the whole meal until Jesus comes again. In a nutshell, when you're weary from this war of words, an appetizer of peace will do. When you're weary from the war of words, an appetizer of peace will do, and that's what God gives us. God delivers us two appetizers. He delivers us the appetizer, the, the assurance of a future full meal, a permanent peace on this earth. But the second appetizer of peace he delivers is probably the most important and relevant for us this morning, and it's the presence of God's people. Being here together. Now remember, the psalmist was a member of the dispersion. He's like, it's likely he spent his entire life outside of Israel. When he imagined true peace, he imagined being surrounded by others like him who trusted that God loved them. And they make every effort to love God back and to love their, their neighbors, especially as they love themselves. And he says, woe to me that I sojourned and I'm tabernacled. That too long have I tabernacled among not God's people. And so the psalmist he longs to get among God's people again permanently. You and I, friends, through Jesus, have that option. When we, or when you at home are watching this, you know, when we try to live life just me and JC, or just me, my spouse, and JC, we get what's called hangry. Hangry is a combination, if you don't know, of hungry and angry. We need each other to, to, to prevent that, right? You have that available. Corporate gatherings on Sunday, midweek gatherings like waiting rooms, being part of a fam. These venues provide appetizers, needed appetizers of a certain and more permanent peace to come. We need one another to shelter us, to, to feed us, to nourish us with peace from the storm that's outside there, the war of words. Man, I realized this week, even more so, and 2024 is coming. 2024 is an election year. It is coming. And your life, wherever you live, is about to get more volatile as a result. It's only going to get harder, which is why we need each other. When, when we come together, the whistle blows. We take a time out. We remind each other of Jesus, his life, and his love. We don't take sides except for life and love. And when we talk about cultural issues not easily defined about life and love, we're gentle. We say things like, hey, this is just my opinion. I might be wrong. We express things that way, not as hardline convictions. God's way of answering, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, is to regularly deliver us under the refreshing shelter of his embodied presence here on earth. And friends, that is us. Take shelter among God's people. Get, get around them so that you don't get worn down to the point you give up and take sides. 
All of us together, we're not yet the full meal, but we're the appetizer of peace that'll do in the meantime. One last prayer that you might miss in our psalm, and that's a prayer to deliver them. Deliver those with lying lips, with, with deceitful tongues. Notice, if you would, in Psalm 120, verses 3 and 4, what, what shall be given to you, and more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the bloom tree, broom tree. In other places, like the Psalms and Proverbs, a deceitful tongue is compared to um, a bow whose arrows are words, and to a fire like the glowing coals of a broom tree. So when the psalmist asks, what more shall be done to you? He's asking that those same hurtful words that come out of their mouths would boomerang back on them, would boomerang back out them, not to punish them, but to provoke them, to wear them down also, that they might see their need for God. That's why the psalmist prays in verse 3, what shall be given to you? It sounds strange, but that they might have the gift of return sharp arrows, not to kill them, but to wound them. Because sometimes it's okay to pray, God, give them the gift of being hurt, being worn down, torn down by the same war of words with which they wage, that they might seek you amidst the ruin of their lives, that being worn down themselves, they might reach out to God. That makes sense? The psalmist is actually praying, wound them, God. Wound them that they might seek you, that they might see their need for you. And we can pray that as well. And Jesus Christ, who called us, by the way, to love our enemies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're reminded in all these things that we need your help. We're tempted in the war of words around us when we get worn down by it. We're tempted to run away, from, run away from people, run away from everything, but that's to run away from this world. You ask Jesus to remain in the world, just not to become like them, like the world. Be in the world, but not of it, you said, Jesus. So how do we do that? We do that, Lord, by venting our frustration to you. And in that venting of that frustration, we see from the psalmist appetizers of peace, the promise that one day you'll bring a shalom to this world where there won't be any more animosity or sorrow or anger or frustration, but just peace. But you also give us this appetizer to hold us over a fellowship with one another, getting among God's people a people who can remind each other of your love, Jesus, of your peace, of your goodness, to take a time out and be a shelter from the storm of this world. We need each other, and we need Jesus, you. If any of us here this morning are feeling worn down, disintegrated, worn down, distressed by the words, war of words around you, I pray they would seek you, Jesus, the only one who is truly peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.